0: And welcome to the ONTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the executive director of the ONTIC Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Burton, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton, here today with Brad Thor. Brad is the New York Times bestselling author of 20 Thrillers. He has appeared on every major news channel, including ABC, CBS, NBC, PBS, and others, to share the parallels between his novels around terrorism and international espionage and the real threats facing the world today. Brad is well-respected in the security and intelligence space and has served as a member of the Department of Homeland Security's Analytic Red Cell Unit, He has also lectured to law enforcement organizations on over the horizon future threats and has been a keynote speaker for the National Tactical Officers Association annual conference. Brad, welcome to the ONTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. It's great to be with you, Fred. Thanks for having me. Wow, number 20. (laughs) Tell me about Black Ice, Brad. Well, uh, Black Ice,
1: uh, in a nutshell, America's top spy is out of vacation days, out of sick days, and he's been given an ultimatum. He is in Europe with his girlfriend, and they have told him, they said, be at your desk on Monday or uh, turn in your resignation. So he's going to go back to work, and he leaves his favorite cafe and sees a ghost, someone that he killed halfway around the world many years ago, and it starts a chase, uh, Norway and up into the Arctic Circle to get to the bottom of what two near-peer powers are doing uh, to subvert the United States up above uh, the Arctic Circle.
0: Yeah, that's an amazing storyline, uh, Black Ice. How did you come up with the plot? You know, I spend
1: a lot of time with active and uh, retired intelligence people, people in diplomatic circles, intelligence, special operations. I, and I like to ask, what keeps you up at night? What, what are you looking at that nobody else is paying attention to? And so this issue about the Arctic was really interesting. Um, Mike Pompeo chuckled when uh, China declared itself a quote unquote near Arctic state. There are only eight Arctic states. The United States is one of them vis-a-vis Alaska. There's no such thing as a near Arctic state. The closest Chinese settlement to the Arctic circle is over 800 miles. So Pompeo laughed at this, but Pompeo admitted that China's presence in the Arctic poses a big threat for the United States, and we're really behind the curve. He didn't sugarcoat it. Uh, We've got one icebreaker. Chinese have got a ton. The Russians have an armada of icebreakers. Uh, And China's been attempting, they have this thing called the Belt and Road Initiative, where they're trying to connect China to the rest of the world via Basically, investments in different things, and China's been trying to buy its way in to buy a toehold in the Arctic. Uh, Norway shut them down. Canada shut them down. Uh, Greenland let them in. Uh, you know, that's Denmark. Basically, uh, let them do some stuff there and pick up some mining contracts. But the Chinese have been very aggressive, and the Russians have too. And the big reason is, is because it's getting warmer in the Arctic. And I don't care what you feel about global warming. This is not a statement. About global warming, fact is, the sea ice in the Arctic is turning to slush and staying slushy for longer and longer every summer. And what this allows is it allows uh, exploration of all of the oil, natural gas, and mineral deposits that are up there. and it provides China a potential way to come up over the top of Russia and down off our east coast with with uh, with their navy. And then also a lot of shipping benefits, because if they go that way, it shaves 20 days off. Shanghai to Rotterdam is normally a 48-day trip. It becomes a 28-day trip, if my uh, memory serves me correctly. But China and Russia have, have teamed up to dominate the Arctic. Uh, Russia used a sub to plant a Russian flag on the seabed, the seafloor, right at the North Pole. Doesn't mean anything, just like near Arctic State doesn't mean anything. But Russia is trying very hard to prove that its continental shelf uh, reaches all the way out there. So, that they can claim all the mineral rights and everything. So, there's a lot going on. And so, I talked to enough people that said, This is what I'm worried about. The United States was not keeping up, not paying attention, and we're way far behind.
0: Yeah, it was a fascinating, fascinating storyline. And I was fortunate enough to to read an advanced copy, and I thank you for that. Brad, uh, Scott Harvath, he's a complex character. And as I read, your books, and this being your 20th, and I followed the development of Scott, is he someone that you knew or who did you model him after? It's a, it's a great question.
1: Uh, for any of the listeners who haven't read a Brad Thor thriller before, uh, I always like to say that my books are like the James Bond movies. You can go to the theater and see the most recent Bond film. It doesn't matter if you've seen any of the previous ones. And that's, that's the way it is with my books. I bring Harvath back again and again and again, but you can start with Black Ice. You don't have to go back to the very beginning. Harvath has always been a a couple of things. He's been a compilation of people that I know in the intelligence and special operations communities. Uh, He takes his last name from uh, a dear friend who uh, processes FISA warrants for the Department of Justice, former Army JAG um, attorney, uh, which is I was looking for a cool name and I really liked what this person did, although a lot of it couldn't be talked about. And uh also I think Harvath is is partly my alter ego, the same way James Bond was for Ian Fleming. And I know Clancy's uh Jack Ryan was for him.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And I also know that in this space, in the security practitioner space, in the special forces contractor world there's so many people that read Brad Thor thrillers. I run into them all the time. I'm, I'm never surprised anymore when I talk to someone and I ask, Hey, what do you read? And they say, I read Brad Thor. That's it's, it's high praise when you can
1: capture and keep the attention of people who do this stuff for a living, you know, you're doing something right And So I'm a real perfectionist. So it, It is so important for me to get the details right because when when you're presenting people with fiction, uh, there is a suspension of disbelief that happens on the part of the reader. Uh, But if you make a mistake, if it's an egregious mistake, or you make too many, they're going to put the book down. Uh, I I get ticked when I see a safety on a Glock. There there (laughs) is no you know manual safety. We can talk about trigger resets and get into that minutia, but uh, it's important. And, And I certainly got things wrong. Uh, particularly at the beginning of my career, but had people say, hey, listen, let me let me give you a little bit of an education on how this works. So it's funny to this day, 20 books into the Harvest series, I will hear from somebody who found like a first edition of my very first book and wants to chew <laughs> me out because of a mistake. And I'm like, thank you. Appreciate your feedback. Uh, that got corrected 20 years ago, but I, I'm glad you're paying attention.
0: Yeah, that, that really is uh, amazing when you get those kinds of comments and The tradecraft, to your point, you are a perfectionist when it comes to your thrillers, when it comes to that, meaning everything down to even how you go about surveilling a target, how Harvath goes about stalking his prey at times is so accurate. How much time and research, Brad, do do you actually put into that when you're putting together one of your thrillers?
1: There's, there's a lot uh, of research that goes into every single one, and, and I'm lucky to have built a very, very talented network of people who have gone out and done the things that, that Harvard does. Uh, the Balancing Act for me as an author, and, and I had some, it was interesting, an ex-CIA guy take me to task. Uh, and uh, my retort, and it was about a surveillance thing, and my retort um, to him was, listen, I get it you would probably have eight meetings before Harvath tagged up with this guy. There'd be, you know, umpteen cutouts and all this kind of stuff. I said, but I'm not writing a training manual for the farm at Camp Perry. I am, I am not, my goal is first and foremost to entertain people. So I don't think readers are going to sit through eight meetings. I'll be lucky if I can get them to sit through three, just to prove that it isn't a direct line that, you know, sometimes when you do these things, certain things happen, whether it's surveillance, whether it's meetings, passing information, all that kind of stuff. So that, that becomes the, the delicate balance for me as an author of fiction is I want to I wanna tack as close to the truth as I can, but uh, in the immortal words of Elmore Leonard, make sure I leave out all the parts that people skip. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's, that's very prudent advice. Uh, and you depict a team environment better than anybody. For anybody that's ever spent time in a specialized unit or in a follow car or in a group in a security environment, you paint that camaraderie and that trust with your stories better than anybody. Well, thank you. I I, I really try to capture those
1: dynamics. And a lot of that is me spending time with these people and keeping my big mouth shut. Uh, (laughs) Like I like to tell people I buy a lot of pitchers of beer and a lot of steak dinners. And I like to hear the the camaraderie, the the good natured ribbing back and forth amongst a group of people who work together. So so that is really some real life stuff. I'm not sitting in a in a car with them. You know, it's a dinner situation, although, you know, there was a team that I spent time with in Afghanistan. And yeah, you know, there's a I don't need to tell you this, Fred. There's a graveyard humor you know, it can get kind of dark sometimes and it's good natured uh, barbs back and forth. But I, 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 from somebody who has been there, done that and has got the t-shirt to prove it, I appreciate that, uh, uh, that remark. So thank you.
0: We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little about Antec Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. This is why we created the OnTIC Center for Protective Intelligence. We're regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.com. .co/center That's ontic.co/center Brad as I was reading Black Ice I was taken back to one of your previous thrillers that you wrote in 2014 called Act of War Did you reach back for that specific purpose as you were putting this story together? It's a good question. It's funny. It's kind of a chicken or the egg sort of a thing.
1: I knew that I wanted to have somebody pop up from Harvath's past. And I thought I had the perfect character to do it. But as I dug back even further than that book, than Act of War, I realized, oh no, I bumped that guy off in another book. So it would be very difficult to bring this particular character back. And I thought, okay, well, what makes, what makes sense? And I was looking for where had Harvath carried something out where he was positive that this person was gone, that they, he, he stayed until they reached room temperature uh, and, <laughs> and then he uh, ex So uh, it, it turned out that that re- that just struck me. I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, drop this little Easter egg in there. Again, doesn't matter if you read Act of War, great. If not, no problem. And that, it, it was tricky though. It was tricky. We, uh, my wife, when she reads uh, the manuscript every year, she, we have these recipe boxes, these recipe card boxes in three by five cards, and she will enter all the information about new characters, update stuff about characters from before that have come back. So that was very helpful to be able to comb through those three by five cards and, and get the answers that I needed because I, you know I've written 21 books total, 20 in the Harvest series, and you figure each one's at least 100,000 words. You know that's over 2.1 million words. It's hard to remember every single character and every single scenario, uh, but you've got people that'll come to your latest book having just binged through the entire series and they might be more up on it than you are. And regardless, I owe it to these people, my my employers, the readers, to get it right. I mean, these are my words. And so it's just part of the research process.
0: Yeah. And it's really, really fascinating to hear you explain how you put the sausage together. Brad, you're quite used to this question being asked. I, I bet you get all kinds of people asking you all the time, what would be the advice that you would give for somebody that wants to write their first thriller? I, When
1: I graduated from the University of Southern California, I uh, studied creative writing and film and television production. And I had leased apartments uh, when I was in college. And I'd saved up my money and I wanted to go overseas. I was going to do something no American had ever done. I was going to move to Paris and write a novel. It had never (laughs) been done before. I love telling that one. Uh, and I got over there and I wrote a couple of chapters, turned out to be a thriller. I didn't know what I was going to write. And I got a couple of chapters in and I gave up. I had that little voice in the back of my head that said, you know, this might not be any good. You might not sell it. What if nobody likes it? I risk the embarrassment. Just just stop now. Quit, quit while you're ahead and, and don't do it. And I listened to that and I shipped my laptop back home and I traveled around Europe with the money that I had saved. And, uh, I eventually pitched public television on a, a show, uh, for young travelers and, uh, cause I thought travel made me a better American. And I did this show, this travel show for a couple of seasons nationwide. And it was a fun job, but I was running away from what I really wanted to do. And on my honeymoon, uh, after two seasons, my wife asked me, what would you regret on your deathbed never having done? And I said, writing a book and getting it published. And she told me, she said, all right, when we get home, you're going to start spending two hours a day, protected time and make that dream come true. And admitting my, my deepest desire to my wife like that and having her say, okay, two hours, I, I couldn't chicken out. I couldn't back out now. Um, you know, I remember one of the most powerful taglines I'd ever heard growing up in a public service announcement was uh, from the United Negro College uh, Foundation, which is a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And I had taken that for myself and shortened it to, "A mind is a terrible thing, period. Uh, because I believe that which we're most destined to do in life, we are most afraid of. And we can talk ourselves out of it. And I think true success is, is surmounting that fear, is a, a, a accomplishing something. So I sat down for my two hours a day, it stretched to three, stretched to four, and uh, the book just tumbled out of me, my first book. And when I finished that book, it felt incredible. I always knew from that moment forward that I would never have to get to my deathbed wondering what would my life have been like if I'd only had the courage to sit down and complete a manuscript. So for young writers, I tell them, you got to write. You're not a writer till you finish something. Uh, One of the things you'll find once you're a published author is everybody who's ever wanted to write a book wants to sit down and have lunch or coffee with you and they want to talk. Well, I tell people, I'll have coffee or lunch with you once you've completed a manuscript, because 99.9% of the people that talk about it won't write the book. And one of the jokes in our house, as I was working on that first manuscript, uh, Maria Shriver, when she was still married to Schwarzenegger, had wanted to do a children's book. And she finally got it done, and she was being interviewed probably on the Today Show. And they said, well, what was it like? And she said, well, you know, I spent so long telling Arnold that I wanted to write this book that it just got fed up with me. And he looked at me and said, Maria, don't talk about it. Do it. Uh, (laughs) And that was kind of Arnold's refrain at home. So that became our joke, too. Don't talk about it. Do it. So that'd be my advice. And from Schwarzenegger's lips to, to my ears and now my lips to your ears, don't talk about it. Do it.
0: Yeah. You certainly don't want to argue with Arnold. No, you do not. Now, Black Ice is buttoned up. It's due to launch. Are you already thinking or already working on the follow-up to Black Ice? Yeah. So you think Christmas
1: comes earlier every year? You ought to be in the publishing business. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. They wanted an outline and a title before Black Ice even hit the market for the 2022 book. It it just seems like it's just happening faster and faster and faster. Luckily, I've had... uh, uh, an idea that I've wanted to do for a while that's re- I think really going to be everywhere in the news and everything next summer. And so I pitched my editor, she loved the idea. And I said, well I was kind of dealing with this as a title and we looked it up and you can't copyright a title. So anybody can use a title. There's certain things you can do trademark wise like Star Wars and things like that. But um so I was stunned to find that the title that I wanted to use had not been used for a thriller, had not been used in fiction. So I was Group. That's terrific. So the question then becomes: When do you announce the new book? You know, you don't want to choke, uh, choke your new baby. Black Ice. Uh, you know, just pull all the oxygen from the room. You want that one to sell through and do well. So I think in the fall we'll we'll talk about next summer's book. We'll release the title, maybe the artwork and stuff like that. But already working on it.
0: That's amazing, and I certainly can't wait. Now I know you're a Glock guy. Mm-hmm. Have you picked up any new ones since we last chatted?
1: So it's funny because I got interviewed for a radio program in Utah and the host uh, had actually been my instructor uh, for my first concealed carry permit and had sold me my first Glock 357 Sig. Loved it because you can swap the barrel out and and run 40 cal through it. So uh, I picked up two new guns and I am not going to Even try to uh, to to use the numbers. Years ago, I bought the uh, Glock twenty six that subcompact uh, because I thought they called it the baby Glock. I thought it'd be great for my wife and all that kind of stuff. And it's just really bulky. But I got the new single stack small kind of uh, concealed carry Glock, and then I got a Sig. I think the Sig is the P three sixty five. But the Glock numbers, I it's like my eyes bleed trying to you know trying to remember. All the different numbers and everything so it's the small glock that i like um uh, but i gotta tell you it's just it's for me i'm so used to carrying a glock 19 concealed when i go out and i like the capacity because i i'll run a glock 17 mag in there to get a couple extra rounds i don't mind that it sticks out uh you know further than the butt of the weapon so i think even though i've sunk money into some smaller capacity weapons i i just if that day comes, I, I don't want to run, I don't want to run dry on the weapon. So it's just more is better. I'm a caveman, I guess. So there you go. It's it's always a Glock 19, you know, one in the gun and at least two on the belt. And those are all Glock 17 mags.
0: You know, Brad, every time I talk to you and our mutual friend, Jack Carr, it usually ends up costing me money.
1: <laughs> that's, that's very funny. Yeah. Cause you end up, yeah, people have got different ideas. It. It's really funny because I did a picture of my gun room and uh, I'm on a text thread with some buddies who are seals, and I took a picture you know showing off a little bit, and I had one of the seals texted back he goes, Thor, you're a moron. He goes, how many guns can you shoot at once? He says, you don't need all those guns uh and it, it, but yeah, you know I'm good friends with Mark LaRue down in uh Leander Texas, LaRue tactical, and Mark makes some of the best uh rifles on the planet and i'm a big fan of mark's product i write about a new rifle that the military is using of marks with this really cool suppressor in black ice um so i guess some guys collect cars this is this is my thing i you know it's it's one sport next to golf and i'm not a golfer you could get out and do during the lockdowns and the pandemic and stuff it's all it's all outdoors so my my shooting skills didn't perish uh because we were you know not doing certain things so it's a, it's a pastime. It's a hobby. I like my, my wife and my children are, are, are very well educated in firearms handling and safety. And, and it's something that we, we like doing. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing it, but I have kind of slowed down. I have to slow down. My daughter's leaving for college in a couple of weeks and, uh, that's going to cost a lot of money. So I got to stop uh, purchasing the, uh, the lead slingers and, and put it into education.
0: <laughs> now, where can people go to pre-order and purchase Black Ice? Well, the absolute
1: best place is my website, Bradthor, bradthor.com. Right there on the main page, I've got a link to how you can actually get signed copies of Black Ice. And you and I are doing that fantastic event together the night the book comes out in support of a bunch of uh, wonderful independent booksellers. So there's information there on that. But BradThor.com is the is the ultimate kind of on ramp to my Facebook, my Instagram, my Twitter, and all that kind of stuff.
0: Well, nobody writes a better thriller. And as I've said this since we've been talking about your books, Brad, read one and you are a fan for life. Brad, thank you so much for being on the OnTick Protective Intelligence podcast.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Fred.
0: This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co. Center. Again, that's ontic.co. Center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smokin' Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. I'm Fred Burton. Thanks for listening.